Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Now, I have to say, uh, this is my first experience um, teaching in this environment, so, you know, if I don't make the rounds here, just kind of wave to me and say, you know, um, great to be here together. My name's Joey. Uh, I have the gift of serving uh, as pastor of cultivation. And you might say, wait, I thought your title was pastor of catalyzation. This is some of the internal things we talk about as a team. We actually, as we prayed about and thought about, and some people gave us some, some thoughts, is um, the language of a catalyst might be a little hubris. It might be a little, a little arrogant to think that actually a person could be a catalyst. God is the catalyst. He's the one who starts things from beginning to end. So we thought that the language of cultivation is better. And you say, well, what does that actually that mean? Well, one thing it means is I get to serve, continue to serve alongside this fabulous team, alongside of our amazing lead pastor, David. And, um, and, and can we just thank God for him? There we go. That was, that was what's supposed to happen there. David's like, David's like, Joey, where are you going with this? Um, and, and then as we talk about the gospel, and we know this statistic about 80% of our friends and neighbors um, are not naturally going to come and step foot in an environment like this on a Sunday morning. So uh, Friday night, we had um, three Monticello packed out with leaders from around the area, um, some as far as D.C. There's a team we're actually working with in Pakistan, which is really exciting. And these leaders and teams, and actually we have uh, the team from Robinwood is here this morning, A.J. and Carolyn and Nick, which is such a gift to have you guys here. Um, they're doing incredible gospel work uh, in Robinwood. And so we get to equip and train believers to be available to Jesus, to carry the good news, embody the good news in their places of work. If you ever have a nudge from the Spirit of God that he's calling you to reach your neighborhood or your community, come reach out to me. We can uh, loop you into the cohort. It's a, it's a fabulous community that's growing, and we're excited to see what Jesus has um, in store. So I just wanted to give you a little update on that. This morning, however, we are uh, continuing our series of final unveiling through the uh, book of Revelation. And it's been a wonderful journey, hasn't it, over these several weeks? Um, and this morning we come to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, we're going to look at the first eight verses and, uh, and dive in there. Sound good? So let me read and then pray, and then uh, we're going to run here uh, for a few minutes together. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse... May the Lord help us to get a vision here of, of what John pens. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we sit under the truth of your word, we thank you that your spirit fills our hearts. We thank you that you fill this space. We acknowledge your presence here. Lord, thank you for each person, each couple, each circle of friends that you have in this room. Lord, some of us have been walking with you for many years, and we need to, we're desperate to hear and be reminded of this truth. And Lord, some of us are here, just we've come along with a friend, and Lord, we're not sure what we think about the Christian message, Lord, the gospel. We're not sure what we even think about you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known. Uh, the questions, the doubts, the fears, the concerns, everything that we bring into this room, Lord, we're a mixed bag. Lord, none of us are perfect, and we're desperate to hear from you, to be nourished by you. And so thank you for this time, this precious time we have in your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a story of two people and they, uh, who on the very same day, they both looked into their bank account. And when they looked into their bank account, both of them had zero. The bank account was completely drained. It's really not a good thing. They called their bank clerks to see what was going on. The first person calls the clerk and has the conversation and finds out, yeah, it's true. There's nothing in the account. Um, and actually, in addition to there being nothing in the account, the clerk can kind of look ahead down the line and sees that actually a week from now, you owe another million dollars. And if you don't have that money in the account a week from now, um, it's going to be really bad for you. The bank's going to take your house, your belongings, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be put in jail. It's going to look really, it's going to be really bad for you. The second person calls the bank and inquires, I have nothing in my account, I'm a little concerned about this. And the teller, the bank clerk says, yeah, there's, there's nothing in your account, but the bank clerk looks ahead to a week from now and says, actually, um, you'll be happy to find out that a week from now, a million dollars is going to be deposited into your bank account. Um, and actually, every week for the rest of your life, another $100,000 is going to be deposited into your bank account every Monday morning. Two people who have the exact same experience in the moment Nothing in their bank account. And yet, both of them have a future. One leaves a phone call filled with joy and peace. And that person will happily endure the next week because the person knows a week from now there's going to be a million dollars in my bank account. The second person leaves the call feeling overwhelmed, anxious, focused only on themselves, how they can possibly find money between now and the next week before they lose everything altogether. Our eschatology, which is a, a theological word to say, our view of what happens in the future when, when history wraps up, shapes our missiology, which is a, another simpler way of saying it, is we believe about the future 
shapes how we behave today, right now, in, this, in, this, in the realities of the world we find ourselves in. And, and in this study of Revelation, there may not be a more significant passage in all of Scripture, and specifically, I would say, in the book of Revelation, that is more eschatologically significant, future-shaping now, than this passage for our cultural moment. Because we are a bunch of people who, when we say think about the future, we don't actually think about the future that's in this passage. We're thinking about, like, tomorrow or the weekend or between now and I take my last breath. And many of us today, our lives are filled with anxiety and stress and we're overwhelmed. And I would, and, and my contention this morning, my argument this morning is that perhaps it's because we have not fully taken into consideration in our lives this critical doctrine of what happens at the end of time. And what this passage says in the most simplest way at the end time is that the Lord Jesus is going to renew all things for those who are his, for those who are in Christ. The world, the earth, the heavens, our bodies, everything is going to be renewed. It's going to be made new. And if you've been following with us through Revelation, John initially gets a vision in chapter 1, chapter 2 and 3. He speaks to the churches. Chapter 4 and 5, we're brought into the throne room of heaven, and there's seven seals that are going to be uh, opened, and that's going to be the unfolding of the story of history. And then through the middle chapters, there's judgments that come. Then in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 12, we have the woman and the dragon that we talked about, and this child who's going to rule and reign. In chapter 13, two beasts emerge that are sort of like... Um, you know, pawns of this dragon, and then we have these judgments, a recapitulation of these judgments with trumpets. The enemy of our soul, the dragon, is confined for a thousand years. David talked about this last year. He's unleashed, and then a rider in a white horse comes and puts death to an end, completely obliterates the very thing that we have struggled with since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. The whole story comes to a conclusion. And in the wake of this, there's a final judgment. And then John gets this vision of a new heavens and a new earth. And he says four times in these, in these verses, in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 5, this word in Greek, it doesn't just, necess- it doesn't just mean a brand new thing. It's actually a renewed thing. A thing that was old that has now stored or mended or put back together in its proper order. When Jesus in Matthew 19, 28, you may remember this. He's talking with his disciples and he, and he, he, he puts this phrase in his teaching. And do, you, do you remember what he says? He says, at the renewal of all things. Isn't it amazing how scripture just speaks to scripture? There in the gospels, Jesus is pointing us to say, there is going to be a day when everything is going to be utterly renewed. There's going to be a new world. And thank you, there we go. And what we discover in these passages, what I want to talk, just walk us through the next few minutes, are three aspects of this new creation that are infused with riches that far outweigh the real struggles of our momentary empty bank accounts, as it were. Okay, so let's just take a few minutes to look at these. You can write these down. We're going to look at the, in the new creation, there's three things. There's the renewal of our physical state. There's the renewal of our emotional state. 
And there's a renewal. What I'm saying is the renewal of our spiritual state, but really has to do with securing our salvation. So first, let's look at the renewal of our physical state, okay? We're just going to look and uh, sit in the first two verses here for a moment. I'm going to read them again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. Have you ever thought about why your body aches? Why do our bodies ache? Some of us are younger. Bodies don't ache as much. Some of us are getting older, and the body just starts to ache. Why do we experience weather and geological shifts that wreak havoc on the earth? Volcanoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, drought. Do you know the scripture teaches us the effects of sin, the effects of our first parents' rebellion were so severe in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden that it actually impacted not just our human condition, it affected our relationship with God. Yes, it separated us from him. It separated our, ourselves from within us. It fragmented our relationship and Creation waits in longing. It's in bondage. It groans with the pains of childbirth. The scripture doesn't just think that humanity is the central part of the story. God is the center of the story. And humans are a significant part of that story, but so is God's good creation. And this is painful. The aches. We don't like seeing ourselves get old. We don't like the pain that comes. We don't like seeing those around us get ill and suffer and die. We don't like going fishing on the bay and seeing how unhealthy the bay can become. We don't like hearing of rivers drying up or earthquakes impacting lives or sweeping through nations or tsunamis devastating visions. It hurts, doesn't it? Today, now, and here, these are real things. The earth creation groans, but in the new creation are penned in these words, inspired, John, inspired by the Spirit, given this vision. In In the new creation, God's heaven actually comes down to earth. Now, this, is, this might be a different teaching than maybe you grew up if you grew up in the church and, 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 you know, there's sort of this idea, we see it in like cartoons and stuff, is like, we float up to God, right? And then we're going to spend sort of eternity in, in the ethereal sort of um, disconnected, disembodied sort of whimsy world with God and we're going to kind of be like ghosts moving around. But if you make an observation right here, we see a new heaven and a new earth. The first, uh, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. That's a way of saying the chaos is removed. Okay, see, uh, the sea for the Hebrew culture was like this place of chaos. The sea was no more. But then what happens? The holy city of the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. And where is it coming down to? It's coming down to an earth. It's coming down to an earth that's been utterly and absolutely renewed. This is the renewal of the physical state of, that is included in the new creation. Okay? This is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 65. I'm just going to mention a number of passages that connect with this passage this morning. If you want my notes, just shoot me an email or, um, you know, and, and I can get these to you. Um, there is a debate, is this a renewed earth or is this a brand new earth? Okay, when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we, and we hear that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, Jesus didn't get a brand new body, he had scars, he was, his body was renewed in the new creation, in the resurrection reality. 
And so we think this is a, and we believe like many believers around the world, actually our bodies are going to be renewed. We don't know what that's going to look like. Heaven actually, in the new creation, comes down to earth. The earth is not annihilated. The earth is restored. The earth is renewed. And the reason that is of significance is because initially in Genesis chapter 1, what did God do? He created the heavens and the earth. And so this is, this is a biblical vision of how these things come back together. Let me just take a moment here and say, do you know what the implications of this are? And then we'll move on to our second point. If creation, the physicality of our world is renewed, this, this changes. It absolutely changes how we live today, without a doubt. Okay? How we steward and tend to the physicality of our world today matters. It's not that we turn our bodies or the environment into an idol, but it is to say when we see our bodies, when we see the God's good creation, we say that is something that is good and from God and marred and distorted now. And what we want to do as followers of Christ is be part of the ultimate restoration project he's doing. We don't restore things ourselves. God is the one who ultimately will restore things. But in light of that, today, actually stewarding of our bodies and, and God's good creation matters. How we dispose of our refuse, how, what kind of technology we use, what kind of cars we buy, how we keep our yards, how we organize our homes, how our businesses impact creation. These things actually matter, and there's grace for this, guys. Like, I know none of us are there. I'm certainly not. There's all kinds of things I do day by day that don't honor the Lord in that way. But, but the thing that this passage compels us to is to say, we have to think about the very real concrete things in the world. And we don't need to think of them as, oh, that's just secular. We actually need to think of them as actually that it's deeply sacred, created by God, and therefore we get to steward those things. There's a great little book by J.R. Tolkien called Leaf by Neagle, and maybe you've read this book. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, perspectives on what he was actually doing in this little short story. But the, the main character is working on a painting. And, he, and it's, it's kind of like he's struggling here and now to figure out the painting, but he actually dies. And then when he is sort of comes into the new life or the resurrection life or the new creation, he actually finds himself in his painting. And it's an allegory, it's, it's, it's a story, it's not trying to be, you know, pinned down what exactly the new creation will be like. But the principle in the heart of it is this, we are going to, as followers of Christ, inhabit the earth. That's why a follower of Christ does that. There's a lot of our neighbors and friends who do it because they think they can save the earth, they can save the planet, the, the earth, the planet creation becomes an idol, everything wraps around that. That's not what we're saying. We're saying these are good things that God has given us and we want to steward and love those well. Do you know another really sweet little example? This last week I was talking with Todd who serves on our elder team and he said, you know, he came home the other day and his wife was just looked out in the yard and the, there were just leaves everywhere. Did everybody have that experience this last week? Oh, the, the weather dropped, all the leaves fell and we're looking at our yards like, ah. Oh. And, and you have this sense, man, we, wanna, we need to put this in order. We want to see the grass. Why is that built into the human condition? It is. 
Most of us, I'm not going to say all of us, most of us, when we see our yard like that, we say, we want to somehow get those leaves cleaned up. And Todd's dad just unexpectedly showed up in his, at, at uh, he and Amy's house uh, with a great leaf blower and just brought order to the entire backyard. And, and, and Todd was telling me about it. Amy was so relieved. She was so encouraged by that. What is that? It's a, it's a window into what one day we will experience forever. And those little things matter in their points of conversation and interaction and connection with our Heavenly Father and glorifying Him for what one day He is ultimately going to do. So in the new creation will be a renewal of our physical state, our bodies, but also God's good creation. Restored, renewed. Secondly, there is a renewal within our emotional state. And again, these things matter when we're looking at that empty bank account here and now, and we're like, what do we do with it? We know one day there's going to be a million dollars, as it were, deposited into the account. That's the future we're looking to, and therefore it changes what we do here and now. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, verse 3, saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. The physical renewal of the world gives way to actually this really amazing thing that God is going to bring about. Do you, I mean, do you, do, you, do you see what he's saying here? Every tear. He goes on, say, repeats this word in different ways three times. Every tear, mourning, crying, no pain, and no death. That's the new creation. That's what we will inhabit forever. The former things have passed away. Behold, Jesus says, I am making all things new. There's this really moment in the film, The Green Mile, if you've seen it, John uh, Coffey, who's played by Michael Clark Duncan, he's speaking to uh, the, um, the, the jailer, Tom Hanks, and, he, and this is what he says to him. He says, I'm tired, boss, tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain, tired of not ever having me a buddy to be with or tell me where we're coming or where we're going to. Or why? Mostly, I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand? And I think if we just pause for a moment, we probably say, others, to be human is to travel a tear-soaked road of mourning, crying, that flow from our pain, in suffering, ultimately rooting back to death. It's our greatest fear, our greatest source of sorrow in this world. And if we ignore or push these feelings and emotions aside and not talk about them, they actually create an infection inside of us, don't they? But in the new creation, in what one day will be, what we find in, the, in these couple verses is God's very presence comes to humans and all the tears up and death will be no more. This is an utter renewal of our emotional state. The emotional longings we have in relationships and the loss of relationships and the disappointment in relationships. One day, that's all going to be restored in Christ. 
You know what the language here, verse 3 of dwell is, the language in Greek, it's so beautiful. It's that God comes in tabernacles or takes up residence or makes his home with us. It's such a beautiful picture. It, it, it echoes what John wrote in John chapter 1. Light came into the world and God tabernacled among us. Verse 4, he will wipe away. The idea of wiping away is to erase or obliterate and even the eyes of our minds. So this even notion <clears throat> of loss that we experience and share is going to be gone. How that happens, I have no idea. It's beyond what our uh, fragmented and sin-saturated imagination can understand right now. But one day... We will be in that place, and God will be with us. He's with us now through the power of Spirit. He's with us now through the body of Christ. But one day, you're going to see him and be with him. And the loss and the tears and the pain are going to be gone. <clears throat> Isaiah 25.8, again, speaks, Scripture speaks to Scripture, says this, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. Do you know what this means for us today? Can we just, just translate this a little bit? Okay, we talked about how the renewal of the physical world impacts us now. The emotional, the renewal of our emotional state, it means that we know we will never be alone. I mean, some of us, I really struggle with that sometimes. But to know that God will dwell with us. Do you know what else it means? It means we can actually feel the emotions of loss more fully. Because if your only future is that it's 80 years and then it's nothing, oh my gosh, that is it's so thin, it's so terrifying. Of course you can't be vulnerable. Of course you can't talk about your loneliness. You've got to hold it all together because there's nothing out there. And who around you could ever understand that? But to know that one day we will be eternally with God, he will be with us. It allows me in this moment when that lie comes in to be able to talk about it and to be able to feel it, not to push it away, not to avoid it, not to pretend it's not there. We have to be a people, we are a people in Christ who can just be honest about these things and say, look, I'm feeling really sad today. I'm feeling really lonely today. I miss so-and-so who died. I miss so-and-so who moved away. I need you to be with me. I need to talk to you about it. Can we go get a coffee? The consequences of the modern world is that it is so fragmented. It is so isolating you guys push against, we, in Christ, in light of the new creation, we push against that. We're like, no, we just about the way we're feeling, and then we can get together and work it out and talk through it and bump up into each other. And is it going to be messy? Absolutely. Do you know what else it means? It means we can emotionally be available to people even as we're struggling with the sadness ourselves. We can comfort others even as we are comforted by the reality of this future when God will take up residence, when he will move into the neighborhood with us fully. Let me just tell you a really cool example from our body this last week. Last, last week, 
David um, shared. In the middle of the gathering, Chelsea and Mike Eller, she had her appendix rupture. She was in severe surgery. It was not looking good for a moment there. It was like miraculous. She's in recovery. She's in hospital. Mike's there on Monday. And one of his friends was going through a hard time, and his friends opened up to him and was texting with him. And do you know what? I read, I read his friend's text on the phone. I, I read the friend he was encouraging. I read the text that he sent him. And here in this moment where his wife is basically on her deathbed, he's praying for his buddy. And he's like, man, listen, Jesus has a plan for you and what's going on. I know this is hard. I'm praying for you. I'm praying you would be blessed. Where does that resource come from? It comes from a future. It comes from a secure future knowing God is with us. And he was able in that moment to actually, in the midst of his own suffering, incur their brother. It's a beautiful picture. And this brings us to our final observation here. So our physical state is going to be renewed. Our emotional state is going to be renewed. We saw that in verse 3 and 5. And now verses 3 to 6, there is going to be a renewal of our spiritual state. And I, I'm not sure if this language is a little clunky, but it's to say that our salvation, our eternal security will be known and experienced for certain in real time, in real ways. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, verse 6, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment, the one who conquered his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I'm going to jump to verse 8 in a second, but I just want to talk about verse 6 and 7 here for a moment. In the new creation, what we will experience is complete, perfect, eternal manifestation of our salvation. That is, not only does God dwell among us, but we are secured as his sons and daughters. We are secured as his children. The question of our spiritual thirst that's right here is perfectly satisfied, and it's free. If we could just bring that passage up, Liz, on the screen there. It's verse 7 there. It's free. The effect is that we are found to be children of God, eternally secure in him, loved, forgiven, and there's no risk of missing out on that eternity. In the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new creation, the benefits of the believer's union in Christ, all the things that we have in Christ, will be fully and perfectly realized. We doubt those things sometimes, don't we, today? We know it to be true from the word, and then we struggle to believe it, and we certainly struggle for it to become real in our lives. The question is, how can this be? And we find it right here in verse 7. There is one who conquered. He did it by laying his life down in sacrificial love for us. He calls us to live in victory and conquer. He says, the one who conquers, the way that we conquer is under the blood and the sacrifice of love of Jesus. This is God's salvation that is a renewal of our spiritual state. Here's how Isaiah 25, 9, speaking of this day, says it. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In the new creation, we have everything we need in Christ. It's all there. There will literally be salvation And this one last application here. What does this mean for your life and my life today? Meaning that we are in a spiritual state of eternal security. 
what it means. And this is, this is the big one for us with when we look at the bank account today and we're like, we got nothing in it. We look to the future. We see the new creation. And our eternal security, salvation in Christ means that today, here and now, we actually have power from God to endure anything. This was the message of the first, this is the message of the first Christian. Think of who John is writing to in Revelation. The believers here are about to get pitched and lit, hung, crucified, into arenas, torn apart, their bodies because of their faith and identify, identification with Jesus as Lord. And this, this revelation is in context an encouragement to them to say, you can endure. There is nothing that you can't face in this world here and now because that future is, is secure for you. It's been secured for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says it this way. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner being day by day. This light, momentary affliction. Think about who Paul's writing to. Oh, you're about, your life is, you're about to lose your life for the name of Jesus. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Romans 8, 18 says it this way, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a vision of the new creation. Say this, under the old creation, some of us are suffering in significant ways. I know your stories. David knows your stories. The team knows your stories. You know one another's stories. There's real suffering in this body. I don't want to underestimate it. And if we can be real, some of us are completely overwhelmed, paralyzed, fuming, discontent, or underwater under much smaller things. Okay? There's no judgment in that. I understand there's a context to these things. And the things we're all facing are real. But some of us are overwhelmed by life decisions. Some of us are overwhelmed by what songs are being played at church. Where you're going to eat today. Do you call you? What are you listening to your children or your peers or your boss or your spouse? And all we can see in this moment is an empty bank account. And this passage. I had a moment like this this last week. There was something I was really excited about that didn't come through. And after that, I was just like for a couple days just totally consumed by it. Has that ever happened to you? And I'm thinking to myself, my brothers and sisters around the world are going to be put to death for their faith in Jesus. And I just can't but focus on this little thing in front of me. And yet, it's not to diminish that. It's to say that the new creation is a resource that lifts our eyes out of the moment to see what one day will come. John Piper says it this way, not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. It's a, it's a really controversial statement, but it's right here in this passage I read. It's to say that the Lord is using this pain in our lives 
for something in the future. And if we can lift out of our post-enlightenment, flattened, disenchanted world and see beauty and the mystery and the wonder of the new creation, my brothers and sisters, it will change how you live today. It will change your life. And may we live in that. And may we pray for that. There's one thing that, I have to, that we have to address. It's verse 8. It's a painful verse, but here it is right here in Scripture. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And here is the truth that the Scripture speaks from cover to cover. And, and we would not be being transparent if we didn't share this with you. Okay? It's a hard word to hear. That is to say, those who reject the Lord, you have nothing to judge by your own merit. That's what John's getting at here. Your behavior, your record, and whether you did everything with precision and perfection. And if you're like me, there's not a chance that you have, that you have done that or that you can do that. You will be found naked without eternal security rooted in Christ's perfect record. And so as we close here, what I want to say is that if you have not repented and believed the gospel, do that today. We have a chance here as we come to the table to do that. I want to just give us a moment here um, to pray, to process, and then we'll come to the table together. I want to invite the musicians to come forward. Lord, the groaning is real, the pain is real, and yet we look with anticipation and excitement over the new creation and what you have in store. And I pray, my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, that we would, we would include this new creation vision in our walk with you every day. And we would not just think that life ends and is reduced to what happens here and now in these bodies. We would be compelled to care for the physicality of our world, to be bridged in our Savior, and to be secure in our eternal salvation that's, that allows us, Lord, to endure the momentary trials that we face. And I pray for anyone in this room, Lord, who has not turned from their sin and their life of imperfection and thrown themselves at your feet, that that would happen this morning. You would stir them, that that day they would experience and be ushered into the new creation and not the second death. Lord, we pray for our world and that many of our friends and neighbors and see and know the beauty of Christ and the love, the forgiveness, and the new life that's available that will culminate in this new creation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week we practice.